For many years, um, well over 50 years, Trinity Bible College has been, has been training and praying over and sending out um, many now generations of people into, into ministry, into life, in, in, into intentional ministry throughout not only this nation but around the world. Trinity Bible College, as many of you know, started in North Dakota many years ago. And then for a season of time, it was very closely connected with this church. For uh, a period of time in the 1960s, it was known as Hub City Bible College. And it met in the facility of Aberdeen First Assembly. Um, it was in a different location. It was downtown. Some of you remember that. In fact, we have graduates from Hub City Bible College here in this room. Um, but we have a great connection. After that, it moved to Jamestown for some years, became Trinity Bible College. And then for well over 40 years now, it has been in Ellendale, North Dakota. I'm very grateful for Trinity Bible College. I'm, tr I'm grateful for a number of reasons. One, we've sent so many of our young people there. We have young people that are, are, are studying there now from this congregation. We have also ble been greatly blessed by <clears throat> Trinity Bible College in the sense that I, I, I got to thinking all of our staff members in the last 20 years, any staff member that we have brought on um, has, has been a graduate of Trinity Bible College. And so we've been blessed. Our, our people are being blessed right now in this community. And so, uh, again, it has, it has been this very close connection. Well, all of that to, to introduce our guest this morning. Uh, one of the things that we also do before I introduce our guests is every, every month we support Trinity Bible College. We regard it as a part of our mission field. And so when you give when you give to world ministries there on your envelope, when you give to missions, uh, a part of that goes to uh, what we want to see God doing, uh, God, what, what is happening and what God desires to do even more so at Trinity Bible College. The president of Trinity Bible College is Paul Alexander. Paul and his wife Carol Alexander are here this morning and they are, they are great gifts to us. Um, I, I, I was wrong. I was thinking that they were, had finished four years, and we're going into their fifth year. I was off by a year. The Alexanders, about more than five years ago now, uh, six years ago, were directed by the Lord to come here and lead this great institution. And now, having completed five years, going into their sixth year of great leadership. It's been my privilege for many years that I've been here to be a part of Trinity on the board. And in that capacity, I worked with, with uh, three of the three of the uh, presidents, and, but I'm going to say this, and all very, very capable and very good people, but I think we have some of the strongest and best leadership that we've ever had, and I'd say that if the Alexanders weren't here, but I'm very, very grateful for their leadership of Trinity Bible College. What is happening there is downright exciting. There is something, when you walk on campus, when you drive through the campus, when you talk with the, the faculty, when you talk with the students, when you talk with people in the community, and some of you are people in that community, when we talk with them, great things are happening, so we're very excited. So it's my privilege to present to you this morning, Paul and Carol Alexander. Paul, would you come, would you welcome him as he comes? God bless you this morning. Welcome, my friends. Well, a really good morning to every one of you. It's great to be back in Aberdeen first. I often uh, joke with your pastor and his wife. I say, you know, it would probably be better if we lived on different continents 
because we'd get to see each other a little bit more regularly. Isn't it just like that? It's always going to be, we'll get together next week, we'll get together sometime with near neighbors, and then the years flow by, and before you know it, another year has gone by. But great to be with you. Love what's happening in your building and the atmosphere that's uh, around us today, and uh, great that uh, we have this close and wonderful and special friendship uh, with Aberdeen first. So thanks for having us here. We're right in the middle of the busiest season of the year. Our freshmen turned up on campus yesterday. The place exploded. It went crazy. We had parties in the dorms. Carol and I bunker down and we remind how old we're really getting. But uh, uh, And then uh, today and tomorrow, the rest of the team turn up and uh, our graduate school uh, kicks off tomorrow. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a while. So we want to do three things today. I really want to introduce my wife, Carol, to, her, to you. Since we were with you last, uh, she has written a book that has be, uh, been, been very influential in so many parts of the world, and she wants to mention that. She heads up our graduate program, which this year launches no less than three MA programs, two of which are probably the most innovative in the world, and I certainly know that the MA in Rural Ministry is the first of its kind anywhere in the world, and it's right here in the Dakotas, uh, which is pretty exciting, and so she's going to share that. Then I'm going to come back, and uh, we'll share a few little visuals with you. I've got a big announcement about this coming week that we'd love you to take note of, and then if you're up to it, and you'll say a good few wonderful Pentecostal amens, we're going to get into God's Word a little bit together as well. So great to be with you this morning, and I'm going to ask Carol to come and share with you. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you and to just sense God's wonderful presence during this worship. And um, just feel family, just feel totally at home in your um, lovely fellowship this morning. So thank you for having us. Uh, we just bring great report from Trinity. God is doing amazing things. And uh, just thrilled and excited that we have a part of investing in the next generation and believe that God is going to do something very phenomenal um, through Trinity and our other schools in the years to come. Since I was last with you, I wrote a book called Wild Hope. Um, I got the title in North Dakota. We were driving one day and the roads were very quiet and Paul and I were sitting in the car speaking and suddenly we saw a huge flock of wild geese flying um, towards the tundra. And I looked at Paul and I said, isn't it exciting when we see geese because we know that spring is on the way. And um, that always fills you with this hope, a new season is coming. And um, from that I, I got the title Wild Hope. And that really, that really absolutely... Um, tells what our life is all about, what our lives have been about, uh, this incredible hope, this wild hope. And it's not hope in the sense of, I wish, I, I hope, but it probably won't happen in the worldly sense, but more in the sense of Hebrews 11 verse 1, where it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that's what our lives have been. Um, our lives have been filled with challenge and yet we've seen wild hope in the midst of some of the most challenging circumstances of our lives. So my book starts with me. I tell this, it's a memoir. I tell stories of my life, um, obviously not my whole life, but uh, stories from my childhood. And it starts off with me as a 13-year-old girl living in South Africa. I'm hanging, washing on the line with my mom. We are not a Christ-following family, but I hear God speak to me. And God says to me very clearly, 
your sister, who was only two years old, is drowning in your pool. And I thought when I heard that, I can't, I can't say, Mom, God just spoke to me because my mom would think I'd gone mad. And so I said, Mom, where's Tracy? And my mom responded, she's with your sister in the dining room. And I wanted to scream, she's drowning in our pool. So I ran off to the dining room just to check with my older sister, ran back out, said, Mom, she's not in the dining room. And at that point, my mom took off at lightning speed towards the swimming pool and came out with this limp body of my two-year-old sister. The rest of the story is in the book of an amazing God intervention, a God moment, and how God used that experience to bring our family to a knowledge of Jesus and how he just opened up our lives and showed us who this beautiful Jesus that we've been speaking about this morning, this amazing Jesus, came into a little family, an insignificant little family's lives, and turned our lives upside down, and we found him in all his beauty and all his wonder and all his magnificence. And that was the start of our amazing journey. And I just tell story after story of some of our incredible journeys in South Africa, some life-threatening journeys, some amazing journeys. I talk a little bit about how Paul and I met. We got married in England, some of our experiences there, um, a little bit about some of the challenges we faced. And then, of course, one of the stories I tell in quite detail from a mother's perspective is a story, I think we've mentioned it to you before, of when our son had a, a really terrible motor accident and... Um, dead at the scene of the accident. He was a G3, um, and how that amazing uh, journey with the Lord and with our son going into ICU, being in ICU for 28 days, being told every single day that he would not make it, that he would die, and that incredible journey as a family, and how God planted a little seed of wild hope in our hearts. And we saw this amazing God do amazing miracles on our behalf. So that story's in there. It's a very encouraging story. And then one of the stories that I love most is the story of how God led us to North Dakota. North Dakota was not on our bucket list. It was not something we ever, um, we ever wanted to do. And actually, when Paul said to me, you know, there's this opportunity in North Dakota uh, they've invited us for a spiritual emphasis week. I said, why do we want to go there? It's the end of the world or <laughs> nearly the end of the world. And, um, and how God spoke to me and how God had given me a dream and how he led us to this incredible place called Trinity in Ellendale, North Dakota. And one thing it does remind me of, you know, that often God does very amazing things in small places. He did it in Nazareth. Um, Greatness came out of a very small and insignificant little place. If I was God and I had a famous preacher, I'd want to put him on the streets of Jerusalem. But God sent John the Baptist to the desert. And it was there that his voice was powerfully heard by people and their lives were changed. So God has brought us to this amazing place in Ellendale, North Dakota, and he is doing phenomenal things. And we are so excited about this year. So excited. I just want to whoopee-ding. Just whoopee-ding. There's nothing else to say because God is doing such amazing things at Trinity. And we are 
absolutely excited about the young people that are coming our way and excited and thrilled to see what Jesus is going to do on this beautiful planet Earth and the lives that he's going to change and transform through the wonderful people that we have the privilege of training. Our book is out there at the back. Uh, we'll be at the back at the end of the service. We've also got some literature about Trinity. The books go for $15 each. We have one of those little swipity do things that you can use as well. We take checks as well. So thank you for having us. God bless you. Wonderful to be with you. What's the old saying? So little time, so much to do. But um, we've got a little visual. Let's uh, get started with that, and then I'll give you a few little updates about what's happening at Trinity. It's only about 30 seconds. Just a few pictures, little teasers there. That thing can be extended to about two minutes and longer ones. But uh, just a brief update. We haven't been with you for over a year. It's been a remarkable year. Just over a year ago, we had the privilege of opening our brand new prayer and teaching center, a $2.5 million project. It is state-of-the-art. It is beautiful. It is amazing. It's right in the heart of our campus. And that was a very deliberate thing. We wanted prayer to be right at the heart of our campus. And the good news is that all of that was paid for before we had even finished. And uh, uh, it's been a great improvement. For those of you who know our campus... <coughs> There was quite a distance between several of the buildings, and this building now knits them all together, and so you can literally go from the field house right at the back all the way through our student life center, and it's all integrated, and uh, when it's about minus 18 below, that's really, really nice. Um, so a beautiful building there. Please be in prayer for us. This week, I will be signing a $2 million project, uh, uh, um, uh, a $2 million uh, proposal. And uh, for those of you who have been on our campus, beautiful, majestic old Davidson Hall, a little over three years ago, we began to work on deferred maintenance there, put on a new roof. We uh, began to gut it right back to the studs, and we put in about 6,000 feet of new uh, copper piping. We ran a whole new HVAC system. We put in four miles of data cabling, new sprinkler system, new uh, plumbing, the whole deal, and uh, we did so as money was available, and then sometimes money runs out, and it's been sitting there, and day by day, I've pointed my finger at it, and I've declared that it will soon be done. It'll be complete, and I don't like incomplete projects, and I don't like it when things are not looking good because we are stewards of what God's given us. And so we've been praying about that and uh, in an amazing series of wonderful miracles, too long to share with you, uh, funds have been made available. And so we hope to start work in about two weeks' time, which will completely finish that building, put in an elevator, join it into our existing buildings, and give us the most amazing 21st century, state-of-the-art, central administration building to accommodate the kind of growth that's going on. So I, I, I just hope you get the sense. This is good news. It's exciting. It's wonderful that's going on.
but it, uh, it would all be a nonsense to have great buildings if they weren't packed with passionate men and women who are preparing for God's work. And so this year again, our Pack Your Bags program, which is sort of one of a kind. I don't know anywhere else. I speak to presidents all over the country, and they envy us. Don't know how we pulled it off, but we've done it. And so I think our Pack Your Bags team, which is a pre-college but four-credit program that takes students all around the world. They start out with a life skills program. They go off to South Africa, and they serve in after-school daycare and go out with home-based AIDS care workers and come back totally transformed and come into a Bible phase and then go off to Jerusalem and, and, uh, and Israel, and they kayak on the Jordan River, and they do a Jeep safari up the Golan Heights. And uh, <clears throat> who, wouldn't, who wouldn't want to start out your college career with those kind of experiences? And uh, I think there are 23 in that program this year, our biggest uh, group ever. And then as we've shared, on the other end, we've uh, been able to introduce some of the most innovative graduate programs I know anywhere in the world. In fact, when we introduced our MA in Global Theology, uh, I received phone calls from leading academics around the world saying, how did you manage to do that? Uh, we would have liked to have done it first. And I said, well, too bad, so sad, we did it first, and we're in Ellendale, North Dakota. So uh, uh, we have a great cohort of students coming in to do that. We teach that on four continents around the world, and uh, very, very innovative. And uh, uh, the other good news, and uh, something that should be near and dear to your hearts, is we are the first uh, college or university anywhere in the world to offer an MA in rural ministry. And uh, we start that tomorrow as well. We have our first cohort in South Africa and other global cohorts starting to develop. Uh, and in between that, a very dynamic, amazing set of majors that are available and more being added all the time. So good news stuff and uh, hope you celebrate with us. Uh, I said to you I have an announcement. And uh, here it is. Every year in the first week of school, uh, it's, it, it coincides with one of our graduate school intensives. Uh, we go far and wide around the world to uh, try to recruit a global scholar whose area of expertise is just right where we're living, stuff that's important for us to know, but brings an emphasis from a background of, of, of very significant and intense learning. Uh, somebody approached me and uh, spoke to me about a person who I've known for years, but in that time, this person has become an eminent professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, holds a very high position in the University of Helsinki in Finland, and is a global scholar of incredible note, um, literally is uh, probably the most prolific theological, uh, systematic theologian in the Pentecostal world today. And they mentioned his name, said, do you think there's any way you could get him to come to Trinity? And my initial reaction was, no, that's not even a possibility. But because it's in my nature to try and take on the impossible in Jesus' name, um, I thought I would put the word out there. So I got in touch with him, a good friend from many, many years. Here's his name. His name is Velimati Karkanen, or Karkanen. I uh, try and say that often after two strong coffees. Uh, but um, Velimati is a... Um, very prolific author, highly, highly regarded scholar, uh, has a very senior position in probably one of the most prestigious seminaries in our nation, Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, best of all, he's a passionate Pentecostal, uh, loves Jesus with all of his heart, and uh, has become uh, very involved in recent years on writing about a Christ-honoring response to the Islamic issues that we face in our global world militant Islam, and uh, the issues that spring out of that. And so 
on Thursday evening this week, just a few miles down the road, uh, we offer the Herman G. Johnson public lecture. We've, this will be our fourth year in a row that we've done it. Uh, it's followed by some refreshments, but it will be Veli Marty, Dr. Veli Marty Karkinen speaking on a Christ-honoring response to global Islam. And uh, I would love to give you a personal invite to come on out and be with us on Thursday evening. It'll be inspiring. It'll be informed. You will be in the company of one of the most prominent professors in the uh, theological world today, and uh, you will love being with him. You'll share with some of our students. You'll see some of the new buildings, and uh, we'll even throw in a cupcake and uh, coffee at the end. So um, 7 p.m. Thursday evening um, in the chapel at Trinity. We would love to have you out there. I know you'll be really blessed by it. So that's uh, all introductory stuff. I'm watching the time uh, your pastor and his wife have offered to take us out for lunch. That's clever. It, uh, it, highly, it highly incentivizes the preacher to get done. And so um, if you are a little bit worried that the rest is going to be long-winded, I have got that invite clearly in my mind. But I do have something that I want to say, if that's okay with you. We're getting on okay? You know, I haven't quite picked up the Dakota accent, but I'm getting there. You betcha. Ephesians chapter 5 is the chapter that I want to base some thoughts on today. Ephesians chapter 5, and um, I want to pick it up in verse, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 15 is what I'd like to pick up. I have it in my Bible here, so let me read it. If you don't have your Bible, listen carefully and follow along. This is being written by an aged man who's journeyed the world. He's seen a lot. He has suffered for Christ. He has written much. He's had incredible spiritual experiences. He has healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's got a pretty good resume, and he writes to people that he cares very deeply about. That's pretty much what happens every time you come to church. You might have had good experience, bad experience, indifferent experience, but let me tell you, when you come to church, 99% of the time, people are going to speak to you because they really care about you, and they want you to do well. They want your families to do well. They want your lives to be orderly and functional. And Paul writes this in a very caring sort of way, and in verse 15, says to these believers who live in Ephesus, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then he gives some very practical examples of how not to be foolish. Just one simple one, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, etc., etc. So verse 15, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And then verse 16 really adds the most important describer of how to do that, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Let me try and put a fairly raw paraphrase on verse 15. I think if the Apostle Paul had the opportunity to try to speak it out a little bit in a passionate way in an environment like what I'm speaking today, I think he would probably be slightly more direct and say something like this, stop being stupid. I think that would be the kind of built-up internal passion of his heart. I think what he would really like to do, if he could be, even physically by shaking some people awake and alive, don't 
give yourself to stupidity. Make sure that you make enough good decisions that your life is not noted as a life that is lived recklessly. Stop being stupid about life, stupid about thoughts, stupid about decisions, and make sure that you live your life wisely. And here's the best way to make sure that you do live your life wisely. Make the most of every opportunity. Become astute about what comes your way. Check out what's on the radar. Make sure that as you progress your way through life, you don't squander opportunities, miss opportunities, and let life go by without making the most of it. Don't be stupid. Make the most of everything that comes your way. For, as he says, the days are evil. We don't need many reminders about what a crazy, mixed-up world we live in. We live in a world that is so often going head over heels in craziness and stupidity. We know in our own nation the levels of divisiveness have never been this high. And I don't know about you, we're relatively new Americans, but every now and again I despair. And I think when are people just going to wake up and learn to love each other and get on with each other? Because when there's tension and dis discord and strife, nobody wins. And in the days that are evil which this verse describes and our society so clearly illustrates, the heart of the apostle is be wise and make the most of every opportunity. So the obvious question that rises is, what are those opportunities? How would you make the most of every opportunity? How do you discern them? How do you identify them? And I began to just list them. I thought there were several that were worth noting in a congregation like ours this morning. For example, I think one of the opportunities that we need to be super alert to is just special times. You know, we do need to make the most of the routine, but our routine is made good. Why? Because every now and again through the calendar, there are special times that come our way. Times like anniversaries and birthdays and Christmas and Easter. I don't want to pop your button but bubble, but Jesus did not get born on December the 25th. Uh, it, it's, it's not, you know, sort of aligned with the biblical calendar. Hey, I don't need any other excuse to have a good time. It's a good time to celebrate and have family and remember and, and tie into seasons and to celebrate moments that come our lives, across our lives. I... I, I'm trying to say this to you, my friends, that part of your Christian experience is to so punctuate your life that you refuse to allow boring to settle upon you. Plan things, initiate things, dream things. When birthdays come and anniversaries come, make sure that there's a celebration. Some people say, well, I'm getting older. Thank God you're getting older. You, the, the older you get, the more privileged you are because many have not had the privilege to reach the age that you're at. I've stood along too many of my friends who have had to bury their children, and that's not how life was planned or thought to be, but it's part of the reality of life, and therefore there ought to be a discipline in the life of God's people that celebrates special times. Thanks God, thank God for another day that we're alive. Carol mentioned that um, our son was in this uh, horrendous motor accident, and we fought for his life for a very long time, and 
Eventually, after going through rehabilitation, uh, the day came. It was an amazing day when we were told that we could take Jay home. His muscles had atrophied. His legs were as thin as my wrists, and we uh, wheeled him out of the hospital, and uh, we drove him home. It was, it was like having a brand-new baby in the house. I wanted to stop at every gas station on the way home and say, look who's in the car with me. It was just that amazing, special moment that God had given us our boy back. And then I remember we would start these little uh, moments where, do you think, Jay, we could get you down the stairs today? Just let's see if you can walk down. And, and then, Jay, do you think you could walk to the front door? And then, Jay, do you think you could walk to the end of the garden path? Do you think we could get to the mailbox? And eventually, we were making it around the little cul-de-sac and down a block or two. And every day was just another victory, and Jay was getting stronger. And I remember the day, I well remember the day, when it was a time where we were able to go out for a coffee together. I said, Jay, we are going to go and have coffee together. I lifted his legs into the car. I got in the other side. I said, where do you want to go? And we went to... A, a, a nice Starbucks not too far away, and I helped him out of the car, and I walked him into Starbucks as if to say to the whole world, my boy, and he's walking, we're going to have a coffee today. And I sat him down, and I went and ordered the coffee, and then sat down to have coffee with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I drink coffee. I mean, that's not a moral statement, it's just a matter of fact. I drink coffee. Um, and so I finished my coffee. And I looked across at Jay. He had hardly touched. I said, Jay, you haven't even started your coffee. He says, Dad, chill. Just chill. chill. He said, Dad, you've got to understand, you don't drink coffee, you do coffee. <laughs> I'm thinking, never heard that one before. You know. I said, uh, what, do you, what do you do? He says, well, let's talk. This is fun. This is great. And so sip by a painful sip, I sat there. Uh, until he had uh, done his coffee. A few weeks later, we went out for coffee again, and um, this time he had picked up some more strength, and so he said, Dad, you go sit down. I'll get the coffee. Well, that was a victory to me, so I sat down, kept the seat, and he came around, and we had the coffee, and I was pretty surprised because my coffee lasted nearly as long as his. I said, Jay, aren't you impressed? I did coffee today. He says, well, actually, Dad, I ordered yours extra, extra, extra hot. <laughs> he was going to teach me one word. But what a profound life lesson I learned during that moment of celebration, that that was a special day. That was a special moment. That was a season to be celebrated. And how important it is that you and I learn to be grateful for every day, thank God for the special times, celebrate those moments that come into our lives, my friends, God created you to enjoy this side of heaven. And one of the ways you live wisely is to celebrate special times. I think there are other uh, times that we need to be really astute to. I, I wrote down a second one here. I called it sensitive moments. We do live in a frenetic environment, in a frenetic world, and life goes by very, very quickly. And sometimes the very moments that could be moments that God could speak into our lives and God could do something profound, they just go by because we're too busy. We don't take time to be sensitized on the inside to the presence of God and what He's wanting to say. And one of the great disciplines of living wisely is not to so go through life that we miss those moments when we can encounter God and His presence and His Word and what He wants to do in our lives. Sensitive moments, times where God's there and we need need to pause in order to hear Him. 
I don't know about you, but it's true for me that so often one day passes into another day and the blur of life is there. And I'm positive that there have been times where God could have spoken to me if I'd created the space, if I'd been sensitive to the moment. Perhaps in church when there's an appeal to come down to the front and you've just done it one too many times and today's not a good day and you've got so much on your plate and you miss a sensitive moment. I think one of the great disciplines of wise living is to be able to always create enough capacity in our busyness to encounter God in sensitive moments, moments that are special when only He can speak to us. Years ago, we were leading a school in South Africa, and uh, we were expanding and growing and desperately needed new buildings. And I remember calling my leadership team together. I had a well-practiced speech. I tend to do this when I've got to make a point. I practice a speech. I walk up and down. I try and get the language right. And so my speech was something silly, like, if you want to buy shoes, you go to a shoe shop, right? They nodded their heads. Where's this going? I said, if you want to buy a shirt, you go to a shirt shop, right? They nodded their heads. I said, we need money. Do you think there's such a thing as a money shop? And they weren't quite sure where I was heading. I said, there is a money shop. It's called a bank. That's what a bank is. It's a money shop. You just uh, pay, and the interest is called profit. And so I said, I'm off to preach in Germany and in France, and uh, we desperately knew this. I, I'm asking as a team, would you go to the money shop and buy some money while I'm away? And uh, it didn't go down very well. They, uh, uh, and so I started to complain and argue and uh, complain to the Lord that he had caused me to work with a faithless bunch of people. And um, I, I told the Lord exactly my feelings. And, um, and so that afternoon, I, was just, I decided I was going to have a bad afternoon and a grumpy day. And um, fortunately, I'm normally able to do that behind closed doors, and I don't bleed over others. But uh, I'm sitting in my office. The door flies open, and in comes this blaze of blonde hair, and Carol's breathless. No knock on the door, no respect for the man of God, nothing of that, you know. And uh, she comes flying to my office, and, and uh, between breaths, Paul, Paul, God has just spoken to me. God has just spoken to me. I said, that's nice, darling. Sit down. And uh, she began to read out of the book of Isaiah how God would break through bars of bronze and uh, gates of bronze and bars of iron and give secrets stored, uh, treasures stored in secret places. Found Isaiah 41, 42. I said, that's a lovely scripture. She said, no, God spoke it to me. She had gone home. She had seen my disappointment. She had knelt at the base of our bed. And God had dropped into that sensitive moment a word from heaven. And uh, I said, so what does it mean? And she got her eyes all bright. She says, money. I said, get behind me, you carnal woman. And, um, well, I thought it anyway. It was, it, if you know my wife, that probably wasn't the wisest thing to say. But... Um, she said, Paul, I really believe that God wants to meet some needs, provide financially, and that there are treasures stored in secret places. And she has this persuasive way about her, and she persuaded me so much so that that same afternoon, we took our team into a classroom. There was a whiteboard. We wrote the scripture, and we shared what God had said in that sensitive moment. I got on a plane the next day, flew all the way to Germany and the east of France. And as I got off the plane, somebody said to me, a friend of yours wants to see you. I said, look, I've just got off an intercontinental flight. I at least need a splash of water in my face. So they said, that's all you've got time to do. And I did that and went off and had a meal with this uh, prominent Christian leader. Leader, and he asked how things were going, and I was optimistic because things were going really well. And I'll never forget, at the end of the meal, he sort of dabbed his mouth. He says, God has just spoken to me. 
I said, oh, that's nice. And um, he said, he's told me to sow a seed in your ministry. I said, oh, that's nice. And my faith level at the moment was maybe, just maybe, I'll get half of my air ticket paid before I even start. Because in those days, you used to go and preach in those churches and pay for the privilege of doing so. And um, he said, let's go back to the office. We went back to the office, and he began to share how they had a major project, and God had told him that if he sowed into our work, God would make that my faith level. I thought, maybe my whole ticket will be paid out of this. I mean, that's, I was getting excited. And uh, he finally made some calls, spoke in German. I understood little of it. And, uh, and then he gave me a check. And, of course, I'd been to Bible college in England, you know, discreet, stiff, upper lip kind of thing. So I folded it, and I put it in my top pocket. That's discreet. And, that, and then, of course, you feel a real urge to run to the restroom. But um, <laughs> and uh, so uh, he says, no, no, you've got to read it. I said, really? He said, wait, I'm going to call my wife. His wife came in from next door. And I pulled out this check, and these zeros ran all the way almost off the page. Biggest check I've ever seen in my life. Here's what's interesting. It was to the penny by the time we went through an exchange of currencies, exactly what I'd asked my team to go and buy from the money shop the few days before. Isn't that amazing? I'll tell you where that all happened, friends. It was transpiring in heaven. But someone had a sensitive moment that they took moments to engage with. Who knows what God wants to whisper in your soul. Speak into your heart. Bring alive something that's not been alive for a very long time. Sensitive moments. I'm going to rush through the last two because I think you're getting the idea of what I'm trying to emphasize but I'll tell you another time that needs to be maximized, one of these moments that needs to be seized for the days of evil. I, I think it's social occasions. So I'm not your pastor, and I only visit about once every uh, 12 months, and we'd like to do it more, except we're in all sorts of places. Next week, we're in Sioux Falls, and the following week, we're in Aberdeen, Scotland. <laughs> so two weeks today, Carol's speaking six times in Aberdeen, Scotland. Um, so that's why we're not here as often as we'd like to be. But uh, so can I just sort of let it, just give it to you. Um, do you know, a very significant part of your life in this church is not just sitting in these beautiful pews, in this beautifully restored uh, building, but it's actually sharing in small groups, coffee, social events, service opportunities. And because I'm not your pastor, I'm going to say it as forthrightly as I know how. You are missing significant opportunities in this biblical text if you are not massively committed to social interaction in the life of the church. I can tell you almost every major spiritual progression in my life was connected in some way to a special level of fellowship with other people. I went to, I was invited to church as a teenager by a very zealous friend of mine, never been to a Pentecostal church. We got into the balcony somewhere at the back, and the preacher preached his heart out, and then he said, I'm going to ask you to do just one thing. If you want to give your life to Jesus, I just want you to do one thing. I want you to slip up your hand. I didn't know what was going on. I'd never been in a service like that. My zealous friend reached across, grabbed my hand, and put it up in the air. 
And you know what preachers are like. He was onto it like, I see that and I'm thinking, I'm getting committed here. This is getting, I wonder what I'm doing. And, and then he said, I just want you to do one more thing. Come on down to the front. So I'm thinking, well, I wonder how long this is going to go. I'm 13 years old. My friend picks me up. He takes me out there down to the front of the church. And then she went into a little counseling room on the side. And somebody read some scriptures and then patted me on the back, said, God bless you. You're a Christian now. I said, oh, thank you. Uh, I didn't feel changed. I had no great revelation. I walked outside. Everybody was happy. And a young man came over to me. He said, we have a youth group on Friday nights. Hey, I'd love to see you here. I said, that'd be fun. Thank you. They were nice girls as well. And um, so I uh, went through the week and was looking forward to Friday night. And you know, just the teenage deal. At the last minute, I was dressed and ready. Last minute, my courage failed. What's it like? What will they do? How do I walk through the door? Will they be friends? And I turned around, went back into the house, and sat down with my parents. And I'm, I have a suspicion I might not be standing and doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for a knock on the door 20 minutes later. There was a young man. I opened the door. I knew it was a young man who had invited me the week before. He said, I thought you were coming to youth group. I said, yeah, I was. He said, it's still not too late. He said, um, you ready to go? I turned to my folks. I said, I'm ready to go. I'm really dating myself now. He had a little mini minor Cooper S. You know, we've got minis today, but they're made by BMW, and they're uh, not nearly as good as the 1970s versions were. And, um, so, and I'm really dating myself. It had fur on the dashboard. <laughs> Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And um, he had converted this thing. It had a six-inch exhaust pipe. It sort of was a bit, uh, this tiny little car, six-inch. He just needed to put the foot flat, and that thing could take off. It was jet-propelled and 18-inch tires. If I was not a Christian before, within five minutes of driving in that car, I had gone through every religious uh, testimony and statement I knew. I crossed my heart. I, what did my Catholic friend tell me once before? I, I went through all of them. He drove that thing so fast. And I got introduced to a youth group, and I met friends, and I served Jesus, and I went on camps, and my life was transformed forever because I met Jesus and I met his people. Seize the opportunities. They're important. And then I'm done. Sacred experiences. That's what it's all about, really. All the other moments, they all combine, come together in the fact that everything God ever orchestrates in your life and mine is that we might encounter the living God and have Him transform our lives. I was a young pastor. A young man came to see me for counseling. I sat him down, and before long, I kind of wished that I hadn't made the appointment. He had deep issues that I had no idea. I didn't think it was possible for him to have those kind of issues. And he poured it all out on me, and I felt terrible for him, and I felt somewhat worse for me. So I dug deep into my Bible college experience of uh, pastoral counseling. I gave him the best I could. I said, let's pray together, go away, come back in a week, and tell us, tell me, how are you going? He came back in a week, nothing had changed. I felt so discouraged. Went through the whole thing again, counseled. I even had a whiteboard out, explained some of the stuff that was going on in the deepest part of his uh, soul and prayed, go away, come back in a week, came back in a week, nothing had changed. This went on about three weeks. Eventually, I just got so discouraged, 
and I suppose also transparent. And I remember looking across my rickety old desk. I said, Anthony, I don't know if this is the right church for you. I don't know if I'm the right pastor for you. I just don't seem to be having any success in helping you. Maybe there are people who can help you more. He said, yeah, maybe. And his head hung down. It was a horrible moment. He got up, I'll never forget, slumped shoulders, began to make his way to the corner of my office where the door was. I was feeling a total failure as a young pastor. And in that moment, I encountered God. You know how you can dream and you dream a thousand thoughts in a matter of about five seconds? That's how your brain works. I had that same thing while I was alive, but every major benediction of the Scripture began to flow through my brain. The promises of God, the goodness of God, the fact that He is committed to us. He, is a, he has a hope and a future for us to make us the head and not the tail. As we go out, as we come in, we would be blessed. I heard all of those benedictions shoot through my mind in seconds. I stood to my full height. I reached out across the room and said, Anthony, stop. I remember he jumped. He got a fright. Turned around. I said, come nearer. I looked right into his eyes. And out of that God moment, that sacred moment, that revelatory moment, I began to quote scriptures that I didn't even know I knew. Those little lines and precepts laid into us over years. And I began to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you. I began to share with him how underneath of the everlasting arms, God's commitment to us is to sustain us and keep us. This great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit surrounding us with grace upon grace. And I found myself going through all of these promises leading up to perhaps the greatest benediction in all of the Scripture. Any idea what it is? I'll tell you what it is. When the woman who was caught in adultery, kneeling before an angry crowd, already stones and rocks in their hands, ready to do the vengeance of an angry God. I can imagine her cowering, terrified. And then they ask Jesus, what do we do? Testing him. And in profound found divine wisdom. He says, the law is the law. Do what you need to do, but he who is without sin, throw the first stone. <laughs> Isn't Jesus clever? One by one, they disappear. She didn't know they were going. She was still cowering, wondering how long it would be. And can you imagine that sort of first little look when she hears the gentle words of Jesus? Daughter, where are your accusers? She must have looked around, too fearful to even raise her head, and not one of them were left. How's this for a profound benediction? Neither do I condemn you. Took her hand, lifted her to her feet in dignity, and said, go and sin no more. So here's the bottom line, friends. I am suggesting that I'm speaking to people who through the busyness of life, multiple issues of the past have potentially missed dozens of amazing opportunities, whether they're special seasons or sensitive moments or God encounters. 
And I want to bring to you the scripture this morning. Seize every opportunity. For the days are evil. And live wisely. I would love to pray that even this week, some of you would have an encounter that you would say, I never saw that coming. Didn't anticipate, but it was a God moment. And pray God's blessing over your lives. Jesus, I pray for my friends today that you would help us to live wisely, seizing every opportunity, for the days are evil. I pray you'd bring opportunities, moments, experiences, and seasons into my friends' lives during the course of this week and this month and the year that lies ahead. I commit and commend my friends to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for the privilege of being with you today. I'm going to hand back to your pastor. In just a few moments, we're going to come back to uh, what my brother just shared because I believe that God desires to do something beyond even what has happened to this point. Before we do that, though, um, and, and have that time of ministry, I want to give you the opportunity to minister. I'm going to ask the ushers if they'll go ahead and step forward at this time. This morning, we have not yet received an offering. We want to receive an offering for our guest. And uh, not, not, not for our guests, but for the ministry of Trinity Bible College. As I shared earlier, this is, this is a ministry that we have partnered with for many, many years. Gladly, willingly. Why? Because it's a tremendous investment that we see uh, God changing lives around the world. Uh, we, we regard this as a, a part of our missions ministry because, because they're, they're raising up and training. And, and it, now more than ever before, uh, I think, affecting people through the power of God who will then go out and affect change in this world. So this morning, we want to receive an offering. Uh, we, we, we are privileged to take part in this. If, if you, if, uh, we'll just give you a moment to prepare that. If you